Standard Issue for all women. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the Standard Issue podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and I'm pretty sure I am the least organised for Christmas that I have ever been. Like, even as a child. Yeah, I would say much the same myself. I saw people saying they were putting their trees up and I was like, who puts their trees up on? Oh, uh, December 6th. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm not putting a tree up because I'll be at my mum's. I'm not putting the tree up because all the companies I'll go out and the cats will just put it down. And they've got enough of my shit to smash up without me paying another £25 for a tree. I'm going to put three trees up just for you guys. Great. I'm Hannah Dunleavy and my new coat makes me look like Teddy Ruxpin if he ran women. Teddy Ruxpin. Yep. She is the OG. Although something quite delightful happened to me this morning. I walked onto, I came out of the lift because I got a bad leg came out of the lift onto the platform and there was a baby and it just went, ooh, like that at me. And then it put its hands out and it actually started stroking me. And then when I thought, oh, this is a bit much now in case its mum thinks I'm a weirdo, when I walked off, it went, no! And I had to go back so it could stroke me more. It was amazing. Did you say no? No. Hannah yeah. Dunleavy, the world's most reluctant child snatcher. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Jen Offord and this election has turned me into the worst kind of Twitter twat. In what way? Like really kind of mournful, exasperated, bordering on hysterical tweets about hating Boris Johnson. That's not the worst kind of tweet. I mean, it's not because I could be Aaron Bastani, but like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not, (laughs) just for the avoidance of doubt. Later on, we chat to Chi Chi Shi and Rosa Caradonna from Fuck Boris about why they think our Prime Minister is a waste man. There'll be a snippet of my interview with Gabrielle Jackson, author of new book Pain and Prejudice, which is vital reading if you're a woman who's ever been in pain or a man who knows a woman or a doctor. (laughs) It turns out the wandering womb theories of ancient Greece haven't fully been resigned to history yet. I found mine in the garden the other day. (laughs) If you don't lock the front door, they can just get out. Yours is such a fucker. I know. It's another mixed bag in Jenny off the blocks as I talk last week's big strides forwards and indeed backwards in women's sport. And then Dunleavy does disaster, we watch. I hate it, I hate it. Who made me watch this? I hate it, Armageddon. I hate it. It just felt fitting to watch Armageddon in election week. But you are right to hate it. (laughs) More on that later. But first, loins, laws and tangerines. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph. Cue Europe. It is indeed the final countdown to a general election in which the best result I can hope for is a Labour win. And that's a bit like being alive in 1666 and praying for one shit show to wipe out a more deadly, pernicious show of shit. Yeah, this massive fire comes with hugely damaging issues of its own. But the plague, guys, we need to get rid of the plague. It's a strained analogy, I know, but strained is exactly how I'm feeling. That and a certain amount of confused lust for John Major. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. Former Conservative Prime Minister John Major, who has sent a lot of loins into a world by urging people not to vote Tory. In a speech he gave to the Vote for a Final Say rally on December the 6th, Major said it was time to vote with head as well as heart. And while I'm confused that anyone could ever think a tick in the blue box is one for the heart to feel good about, yes, John, yes! He's not the only seemingly true blue Tory putting on a different coloured tie, with Chris Patton and Michael Hasseltine also encouraging people to vote for ex-Tory independents rather than Tories. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, DUP Governor Arlene Foster has accused Boris Johnson of being a liar. No. I mean, even a broken clock is right twice, I guess, and I'm confident she can spell Pinocchio. And yet... I'd love to know how she pronounces it, though. Pinocchio. <laughs> I don't know what happened it. to Jen. I think she's broken. Did you think it was good? It was. It wasn't as. It wasn't terrible. Thanks, Hannah. I think it had the right vowel sounds. Did you used to work on the news when we couldn't listen to the real voices of Sinn Fein? Now that I didn't want to tell you about what I was up to when I was six years old, but um, yeah. And yeah, and yeah. Polls show that Boris Johnson and his cronies remain in the lead. If you're still not sure you can be asked to vote because you feel politically homeless, I hear you. I really do. So spoil your paper. And not just with the cock and balls. Write down why you're so fucked off. Because every candidate in your constituency has to read what you put on your ballot paper. And go on, draw a cock and balls too. Why not? But instead, please, please consider a vote for whoever will get the Tories out of power. If you need any more convincing, Jen... For the last three and a half years, this country has felt trapped like a lion in a cage, begins Boris Johnson in the Tory party manifesto, before going on to spout a load of other bullshit. But things get really interesting in the Protecting Our Democracy section, in which our Tory overlords suggest they will do this by A. Doing away with the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. So, I mean, I had thoughts better when they did it, but it is inherently not that democratic. Well, it is, and yet it's the only thing that saved us, really, because of the thing they wrote in. Yeah. And it annoys me that they get to do away with something they bought in five years ago, but yes. we don't get to do away with something that we voted for three years ago. But, yeah. yeah. B, ensuring updated and equal parliamentary boundaries, a.k.a. gerrymandering, a.k.a. skewing the borders to yield better results for whichever party is in control at the time of doing so. Well, that tends to be... Well, I mean, that's always how it's worked, right? Mm -hmm. C, continuing to support the the first-past-the-post system, the universally recognised, completely undemocratic system, which is the opposite of proportional representation. D, protect the integrity of our democracy by introducing a requirement for voter identification, a process that disproportionately impacts on people without ID. So basically, poor people or younger people. Who are they? People who are less likely to vote Conservative. E, maintain a voting age of 18. See above. F, scrap any further action on the Leveson Inquiry recommendations because in whose interest does the current press system serve? Well, going back to my point about sexy John Major, Mm. the Express have already run, and the Telegraph have already run, like, John Major took £400,000 off the royal family. (laughs) And you're like, what are you talking about, you madmen? I also saw a tweet today which was about the Daily Mirror story saying that apparently, who was it? Melanie Sykes, I think, has split up with Steve Cogan. And lots of people are saying, I didn't even know they were a couple. And you're like, well, that's because the Leveson inquiry stopped people going through his bins, wasn't (laughs) it? That's why we don't know. He shouldn't keep his girlfriends in his bins, though. That's a positive thing, that we don't know who Steve Cogan's girlfriend is. Anyway, I mean, I could go on because there are seven shades of shit in this manifesto, but perhaps the most worrying point on the now infamous page 48 is the highlighted need to look at the broader aspects of our constitution, the relationship between the government, parliament and the courts. You know, the guys who enforce the law, say when you want to illegally prorogue parliament in order to force a new law through, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It further adds... We will ensure that judicial review is available to protect the rights of the individuals against an overbearing state while ensuring that it is not abused to conduct politics by another means or to create needless delays. You know, 
like when courts tell politicians their actions are unlawful and they can't just prorogue Parliament to force new laws through. That kind of thing. It's basically a list of universally undemocratic things and they are they are laughing at us. They're just laughing at us. But if you read it all on the same page, they've started each sentence so that if you read downwards, it does still spell democracy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what matters. There's a word for that. There is. I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember what it is. If the country felt even more fetid than usual last week, it may have been the presence of tangerine nightmare Donald Trump, who was back in the UK for a NATO summit, because we all need to keep pretending that all of this is totally normal and we haven't just decided as a nation to sell off our assets at a car boot sale and then declare ourselves the kings of a new world that only we are allowed to enter. Mm-hmm. What's your point, Hannah? Boris Johnson did his level best to ignore Trump altogether, not once mentioning him by name in public during his visit. Like when you pretend not to recognise the person you're secretly sleeping with. <laughs> no, just me? OK, then. Um, the rules were out... Why in... won't she look at me, Jen? Why won't she look <laughs> at me? <laughs> Jen, can you hear something? <laughs> the royals Awkward. were out in force to meet the world leaders, acting as a perhaps unwilling human shield for the Tory leader. Princess Anne appeared to throw herself into the Twitter sphere like a walking promotion for the third season of The Crown, first off being caught appearing to snub Trump. And while I'm well aware that the video wasn't quite the middle finger it seemed to be, I'm glad it happened for the nostalgia rush it gave me for being a teenager and really not wanting to come downstairs to meet people my parents knew, hand out crisps in bowls and answer questions about my GCSE mocks. The best thing about it is the universality of like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Your mum looking at you like, yeah. are you going to do this thing? And you being like, what? What, yeah. mum? No. No, I don't want to meet Donna Melania that you met on holiday. <laughs> The middle finger, though, did you see the Charles video? Yeah. I'm not sure whether he was just genuinely scratching his nose, but he does it in a very, like, (laughs) very middle finger to Trump way. It's it's joyous. (laughs) Apparently now I am a monarchist. Who knew? What was less uncertain was the hot mic incident at the same NATO event where horse fan and one hairstyle for life enthusiast, (laughs) the Princess Royal, was part of a group caught taking the piss out of Trump. Everybody else does it. Why shouldn't they get the chance? Although, in truth, what they said was way milder than what I had assumed went on behind Trump's back. Mm -hmm. Canadian president and world's greatest feminist Justin Trudeau (laughs) commented on the shocked faces of Trump's team as he did some other stupid fucking thing. Something I'd imagine Trudeau's own team have been doing a lot of recently. No, Justin, I don't think fancy dress Fridays are a good idea. (laughs) Rounding out the team of piss takers, and I mean that literally and metaphorically, except for Dutch PM Mark Rutte, who, to be fair, I don't know that much about, were prospective parliamentary candidate for Uxbridge and Ryslip and improbable boxing enthusiast Boris Johnson, and French president and world leader most worth a hate fuck, Emmanuel (laughs) Macron. You've really got to wonder what they said when Johnson walked away, eh? Mm. Mm. Macron. Anyway. <laughs> she won't look at him. She won't look at him. She's just not looking in the eye. I've often wondered why that was, you know. <laughs> when we have those get-togethers with world leaders after every recorded on a really Monday. really awkward. She won't look at him. More news next week, but slightly more news on Election Day, which is obviously December the 12th, that I will be manning the standard issue Twitter feed overnight during the election if you'd like to join me screaming into a pillow and eating Pringles. I'll join Please you for a do. bit, mate. I'll yeah, join I'll you for, be a there for a bit. Not I'm just going to join you until you run out of synonyms for sobs. Until I've tweeted that picture from Toy Story 3 about 30 <laughs> times and then we'll be done. 
Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where all women want for Christmas is to look good for our husbands. Don't leave me, Gary! So, have either of you seen the advert for Peloton's $2,500 Wi-Fi-enabled exercise bike? No. no. I've seen a lot of stuff about it, but I neither know what a Peloton is. I thought it was something to do with like being in a gang, cycling. It's basically... So, I mean, it is, but right. also it is a fancy exercise bike. It has like a screen on the front of it, and you sort of participate in classes virtually. Right. I quite like it. The advert, though. It is unequivocally shithouse, depicting a woman's get-fit journey on an exercise bike bought for her by her husband as something transcendental, spiritual. A year ago, I didn't know how much this would change me. She chirrups with the sort of sadness in her eyes you only usually see in a hostage video. Because we all know a woman cannot truly know herself until she has met those arbitrary standards of beauty set by men to keep women in their place. And we all know that if a man has bought you some Get Fit kit, you need to keep him updated on your progress with desperately pitiful video diary updates of your sessions. Otherwise, he'll be out the door before you can say, fuck you if you think I'm getting up at 6am for any kind of ride. Peloton, which sells treadmills as well, aims to become, and this is them saying this, the Netflix of fitness. On the most basic level, Peloton sells happiness. That's what they said this year. Do, do, do you, Peloton? Do you? I'll tell you what, Peloton HQ is probably feeling not very happy at all. Because as the silver lining to this 1950s throwback how to keep your man cloud is that the backlash has wiped $1.5 billion off the company's value. Wow. That that deserves like a Nelson Muntz. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell, that's a lot, isn't it? That'll learn him. Hopefully, maybe, mm. probably not. Oh, and there's another slither of shiny because it has also inspired a brilliant advert from Ryan Reynolds's gin brand, Aviation, in which the Peloton advert actress, Monica Ruiz, is seen with two friends and a vacant stare, necking cocktails and trying to forget her controlling husband. Uh, I feel like the need to point out, I mean, I know the Netflix of becomes a generic term in like, you know, when, when I used to work for a business magazine and people would say, oh, it's like the Oscars, but for the uh, yeah. for the mobile phone industry, it's like the Oscars, but for plumbers. <laughs> and you're like, okay, just stop it. Just say it's an award. Yeah. And people are like the Netflix of. But one thing that I would say is really worth saying about Netflix is that it is categorically not a sexist organisation. It's very pro-women. Mm-hmm. So maybe they need to consider saying something else. All right, it's Jenna. Sorry to interrupt your listening experience. If you like what we do here at Standard Issue and you want to keep hearing some excellent content made by excellent women, yeah, us, we know, you can do so by visiting our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Standard Issue and chucking some dollar our way. Thanks very much. Hello, I am in a very noisy Weatherspoons with people having a lovely time at four o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon with journalist and author Gabrielle Jackson. Hi, thanks for inviting me to Weatherspoons at four o'clock on a Tuesday. Are you having the classiest time you've ever had? This is awesome, I love it. (laughs) So we are here to talk about your excellent book, Pain and Prejudice, which is timely and important and the tagline is a call to arms for women and their bodies. Couldn't be more upstanding issues, Ali, if I'm honest with you. So tell us about it. Oh my God, I don't know where to start. It was kind of years in the making, really. I had kind of, you know, been that girl at school that missed school every month because of her periods Mm -hmm. and was told by my female GP to put up with it. That's life. Some women have bad period pains. Was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome when I was 16. 
And then eventually when I was 23, I said to the GP, look, this isn't right. This is just not normal. I don't see people around me suffering like me. Refer me to a gynecologist. So she did, and I was really lucky that he was an expert in endometriosis. And I had surgery and thought that I was kind of cured in a way and spent the next kind of 15 years thinking that endometriosis was just really bad period pain not associating these incredible bouts of fatigue I have with endo, the back and hip and leg pain I had, the irritable bowel, the kind of dizziness, the nausea, all these things that made me think I was like a hypochondriac. Yep. And then it was only in 2015 I went to this conference on endometriosis where I found out that all these things wrong with me are all very, very common symptoms of endometriosis. And not only did women themselves not know that, but a lot of doctors didn't know that either. It was really just a light bulb moment for me and I, I wrote about it for The Guardian, but, but even writing about it for The Guardian raised more questions than it answered because hundreds of women wrote in telling these stories about you know being told they're hypochondriacs, being sometimes told actually they're hysterical or that they're type A personalities. I just had all these questions that I couldn't answer in one article, so that's why I decided to write a book about it. Okay, so just in case anyone is still wondering, is healthcare sexist? Mm. <laughs> there is no doubt. Healthcare is sexist. <laughs> it's not controversial. Not a controversial opinion. Um, I should say, though, it's not because doctors are sexist, although obviously some are, right, because yep. they're human beings, mm-hmm. but the system itself is structurally sexist. And that to change that, we can't just say, oh, more women need to become doctors. That's not going to fix it because the, the way they're trained is masculinized. The way research has been conducted is masculinized. We just actually don't really know that much about female biology. Yeah, I thought it was really fascinating uh, when you cover it in Pain and Prejudice is that the medical profession has almost taken over from religion in keeping women in their place. Yeah, in controlling women. Yeah. And so much still what we hear today is that when women get illnesses, they're told it's because they delayed childbirth or it's because of something that happened to them, like it's a result of trauma, sexual assault or something. There's still this blame. You know, the first instinct Mm. is still to blame women. It's something they did. It's their uncontrollable bodies or minds. Let's talk about the ongoing hysteria diagnosis because we haven't actually moved that far forward from the old... Oh, London. <laughs> Bit of London in the background there. Because we are near the hospital too. Which... <laughs> what a great place I've chosen for an interview. So we've not actually moved that far forward from the old wandering womb no. ideas of why women get ill. Yeah, we haven't. And I mean, from the very beginning of you know the study of medicine, doctors realised women were different. The major difference was they could have babies. So all the kind of ailments they got that men didn't seem to get was blamed on the uterus or if they didn't have babies it must be because of that if they hadn't had them yet then if they had them that would solve the problem and it all became so much about babies and sexuality like masturbation was considered to be the cause of so many illnesses it was the three bears wasn't it it was goldilocks it was like you, you had to get it just right you yes. could have too much sex <laughs> not enough sex just the right amount of sex and you probably wouldn't be hysterical exactly but no one knew what that was yeah No, exactly. You know, this is how women's health and women's sexuality became so linked. And I don't think we've seen that uncouple yet, I think, still today. The other thing that happens is the bikini diagnosis 
that you talk about as well. And that is where all of women's ailments are very much uterus and tits. Yeah. That's it. That's the only thing they've ever studied in women. Is it? Yeah. Say that again for for the back. (laughs) The only thing they've really studied in women are like breasts and the uterus. And... You know, well, it's just oh, it's so fury making. Yeah, it is because they're like, well, they're the only things that are different. So we'll just study biology in men. But this is the reason why more women die of heart disease. You know, because we've only studied it in men. The medicines we have uh, to treat men, but it, it's it's very different. The symptoms, the pathology is very different in women. Women mm-hmm. have different kinds of heart heart attacks, different types of heart disease, and even though that's like been fairly well established in the science for over a decade. A study last year in Australia in tertiary hospitals found, you know, these are our best hospitals yeah. in Australia, found that 50% of women will be treated as well as a man when they present with a heart attack and more than double will die six months later. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's, it's putting it in plain terms that this sexism within medicine... It's fatal. Yeah, it is. It's exactly right. It's fatal. And the thing with, you know, autoimmune conditions and pain conditions is that often, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't kill women. But actually, it really reduces quality of life. And now there are studies that show an increased suicide rate among people with chronic pain illnesses. So it's not right to say this doesn't kill you because it really, really reduces opportunities and it, and it deprives you of your full humanity some women just can't work when they're in so much pain they can't live life to their fullest and and that's not fair what i love about pain and prejudice is you've tagged it a call to arms because mm. it feels like we have to go in there with knowledge yeah we really do and those of us who have that kind of power it's especially important because there's a lot of women especially women of color mm. who no matter how hard they advocate for themselves are not going to be taken seriously and they might not have the resources to go from doctor to doctor to doctor especially in rural areas where there might only be you know one or two gps that can possibly see so i think yeah those of us who have a voice have to really use it to advocate for better service for us but the other thing i will say is Often you never put together all the symptoms yourself because you don't think they're related. Like, why would I tell my gynecologist about my dizziness and my headaches? Yeah, yeah. When in actual fact, these are all very related and telling your doctor all of the things wrong with you. So knowing your symptoms, knowing your body, knowing what's normal for you is really important when you do get to the doctor and you can tell them everything that's happening. Where can people find out more about you and where can people get hold of, and you really should get hold of, a copy of Pain and Prejudice? So Pain and Prejudice, is available on Amazon and Waterstones websites. It's also an audiobook on Audible. Did you read it? No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm an editor at The Guardian and I sometimes write things for The Guardian too. And there's a great website in Australia called the Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia. They have lots of really great information about the drugs that can help and the different things happening and lots of resources. And you're on the Twitter, aren't you? Oh, I definitely am on Twitter at Gabrielle CJ. Yes. That's my favourite social media channel. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good luck out there. Thank you so much for chatting to me. It's been fascinating. Oh, thank you for having me. We are joined by Chi-Chi Shi and Rosa Caradonna of Campaign Group. Fuck Boris. Hi. Are you feeling full of the joys of the general election? 
I mean, I think we're now six weeks in and I feel like it's been my entire life. Don't um, we all? <laughs> so can I ask you a little bit about what Fuck Boris is and, and how you came to be and, and what you've been up to? Fuck Boris is a group of friends. We're all young women. Uh, most of us are women of colour. We come from a whole variety of different backgrounds. You know, some of us are kind of more political, some of us less political. But basically, when we realised that Boris was probably going to be PM. Potentially thought, forever. Potentially forever. We thought, fuck, this is, you know, really, really bad. And we thought, what can we do? So the day he became, the day he was like sworn in as Prime Minister, we organised a protest. We shut down central London um, with like 10,000 people, you know, fairly spontaneously. And then since then, we've been kind of spending most of our time exposing his the many kind of evils of both him and the Tory party. And so, so, yeah, what is it specifically you don't like about yeah, Boris Johnson? what's the problem with Boris Johnson, what's guys? With it? I'm gonna, what, what do you, what, what's the key thing? Uh, the key thing for me is that it's not just him. He represents an entire kind of set of people, an entire like class of people who are, you know, kind of purposely cruel, toxic, elitist... And he's a particularly odious person himself. It's it's about him and what he represents. So when you say purposefully cruel, now, I mean, I almost certainly agree with you on that, but some people would argue that he just doesn't have any frame of reference in terms of the, the people that his policies impact on or the shitty things he says about various different groups of people. What makes you think that he is purposefully cruel? So, I mean, I think that we've seen throughout this election campaign that everywhere he turns up, people hate him, you know? Like, he, like, actually throughout his entire political career, when he was mayor of London, when he was, well, in government, now he's prime minister, everywhere he goes, people shout at him. They say, you have taken away our schools, like, our school funding, our hospitals, our children, are they're starving because of the policies of you and your government. And the way that he's reacted to this and the way he's reacted to being personally asked to apologise for comments that he's made in the past about Muslim women, about, well, actually about all, like every sector of society that isn't <laughs> yeah. him, the way yeah. he's reacted to that shows that actually he doesn't care at all. Mm. I mean, even if he didn't know, you know, how it impacts on people, that's also really not an excuse because as the prime minister of this country as the most powerful man in this country he has a duty and a responsibility to know that and if he doesn't then that's just another sign of his failings you know but Chichi, he is so funny right <laughs> <laughs> just like he's just like he's silly and his hands silly come on that is a good point because as much as you say everywhere he goes people hate him people shout at him which certainly does seem to be the case a lot of people like him and he's probably gonna win with a majority i mean i think uh sure some people like him i would still say that you know he's you know he's proven to be very unpopular especially amongst women as far as i know he's the only potential prime minister who literally everywhere he goes there are people organize themselves to turn up and like scream at him and he's scared of them isn't that brilliant yeah, he's exactly. not scared of them He's not. I have a theory I mean, he, about this. I don't think he's scared. I think he doesn't give a shit. I think he's so entitled. I think it's so 
outside of his understanding to feel insecurity or fear, I don't think it even occurs to him to be scared. I mean, I, in terms of, you know, I don't know how he feels, but in terms of how, he, how he's acted and how he behaves, that he, like, we know that he actually changes his campaign stops because he doesn't want to confront these people who, who, who are waiting for him. We know that he doesn't want to yeah, uh, do an interview with and... Andrew Neil. We, we, we know that he doesn't actually want to um, debate people. But so, I think that's because he, I genuinely think that's because he can't be asked. I don't, I don't think it's like, oh, I think I'll look bad. I think it's just like, I don't want to put myself through it. Why bother? I don't think he understands why it's important for him to face scrutiny or, or feel that he should face scrutiny. I think he doesn't need to face scrutiny. Yes. Because to a certain extent, a lot like with Trump, we're now getting to a place where the people that are backing him are going to back him whether or yes. not his trousers fall down yeah. at the podium or not, whether he completely like shits the bed mm. on an Andrew Neil interview. Those people that have decided that they're going to vote for him because they want Brexit or because, because they want to stop madness. immigration or whatever, it doesn't matter what he says, doesn't matter how bad yeah. a job he does, they're still going to vote. I would agree with that, but I, th- I think that's why he's not scared. Can I ask you guys a question? We, we made a documentary earlier in the year about Margaret Thatcher. And we spoke to a couple of women of colour in that, one of whom was Samira Ahmed, who was talking about how actually conservatism, to a certain extent at that time, appealed to a lot of immigrants in this country, despite the fact that Margaret Thatcher didn't like them. They kind of liked her. Is that something you're seeing now less of, do you think? So, yeah, in that, I mean, it's very hard to ignore a set of comments like the ones Boris Johnson has made. It's very directly targeted at people of colour, what he's saying. Someone asked him a question about immigration, and he went, yeah, yeah, I do want to limit the number of people of colour coming to this country. Did he actually say that? Yeah. Wow. Wasn't it like a a lip-reading thing again, like with Corbyn, wasn't it? People were saying he said people of talent or something. But, I mean, it sounds less likely. Well, I mean, the Australian system, which is what he's saying he wants to make it like, is that... They only want people of talent coming in. I mean, also, the Australian system he wants to base it on is, you know, it talks about talent, quote unquote. But what I mean, if you look at all the criteria for it, it's just dog whistle for white. Part of what Boris and his cronies want to do is actually like denigrate our communities in this quite vile way. Of course, that's political, but it's also cultural. Firstly, we know that it actually um, has a direct impact on Islamophobia and like hate crime in the streets. And we know that it like has a direct impact on how people see their lives and themselves. So from when he became prime minister, why we wanted to do a party and a celebration as a protest was because you know to say well fuck you we're here and look we're just having this great time and just in case people who are listening haven't heard more about you what else have you been up to as part of the campaign after the election was announced we've been trying to get people registered to vote so that's primarily young people that's who we're targeting especially young women and especially young people of color so we've been across the country hosting register and rave parties which you know pretty much do what they say on the tin. <laughs> They're like self-organised by like different groups, organisations across the country under the Fuck Boris banner. And what's the reaction been like? like pretty good. It's been pretty like, great. Yeah, 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 really great. Do you have a sense for like the sort of numbers that you might have got to go and sign up? We actually have to still get all that data. But like, for example, I know in Glasgow, they registered 200 people on the door and they got 60 people to um, sign up to canvas against Boris as well. Wow. Um, so actual yeah. activism as well. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, That's really yeah, good. For sure. Yeah, people really being like galvanised by it and, you know, excited by it. I think a lot of, especially, you know, for 
our generation, so I'm in my early 20s, we've grown up through a lot of kind of crisis. We've grown up through austerity, through the climate crisis, through, you know, the increasing, as in for people of colour, like the increasing criminalisation of our communities. And it's left a lot of people quite, you know, fairly disillusioned with politics in general. Well, that's got to be the only upside of this. And I say that as someone who grew up under Thatcher, is that you, in the worst times people become politically well aware for a start and then hopefully active as well i mean since brexit the number of people i know who weren't really that into politics they voted but they weren't that into politics who are suddenly very 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 a knowledgeable and b you know motivated that's got to be a positive thing even though it's taken this horrible horrible thing to happen to make us as you say you've grown up in a lot of this kind of turmoil basically or your sort of political awareness has come about during that time of turmoil do you feel that that sort of anxiety or the national anxiety that we feel at the moment sort of bleeds into into your lives um yes <laughs> it's the short answer but also there's a place now for us to put it and i think one of the most the most tiring things is feeling like you can't make a change like you don't have any impact but also that you don't know where to go mm-hmm. like you have no political or cultural home and i think that what's happened in the last few years is that we've seen people get together and make themselves a community in this way which is quite disparate and you know people put their energies in different things but it's kind of connected with this like shared vision for what we think the future should look like. I saw this brilliant bit of theatre called Hive City Legacy and it's all about how first, second, third gen are sort of looking at their cultures and when first gen came over it was like try not to talk about our culture and just try and fit in and there's a, a reclaiming now and the importance of like claiming your heritage and claiming your culture by getting together and having these conversations with people who feel the same, are you feeling that people are more like, yeah, I'm getting my fucking identity back? I think so. I mean, my parents came over here in the 70s. And, you know, it's one thing to, you know, be scared. I mean, like my dad talks about getting beaten up by skinheads fairly regularly. Was he living in London? Well, kind of, he was living like near Harrow. Right. So um, where all the sort of South Hall kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, it's, it's one thing to want to fit in because, I mean, you're literally scared for your life. You don't. But, I mean, to be honest, that... That feeling, I think, is creeping... I mean, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think that feeling is creeping back into our communities. I mean, it's it's genuinely scary to a lot of us that someone like Boris and could be in power. You know, like, as you see hate crime rise, I mean, it's really scary. So, you know, I, I think people are feeling less and less like they can express themselves. People are feeling less and less comfortable to go to their places of worship. You know, in a society where you've got, like, granddads murdered coming back from Friday prayers at the mosque. Obviously, there's been, like, a lot of talk about the anti-Semitism row with the Labour Party has been a huge, huge, huge story. Do you feel that your communities have, you know, the racism that you're talking about? Do you feel like that has been given the level of attention or taken as seriously as it needs to be or should be? I mean, absolutely not. The big thing for me, at least, and I think for lots of people in my community, was when the Tories did a deal with the Brexit Party. Right, the Brexit Party are essentially fascists. Um, You know, they've got Tommy Robinson on side there you know like that's the level it's it's you know it's you know people can always say the Tories have always hated immigrants and obviously that's true but this feels personal this feels really very scary and the idea that if they get in they might do more political deals with these people that these people might have more power and might more institutional power 
It's also um, it's also this relation between you know um, fascism in parliament or like fascism when parliamentary um, fascism parliamentary <laughs> fascism and street fascism right like um, like we've seen the the far right on the streets just get bolder like get more violent um, they come out in greater numbers I mean that has a direct impact on also on Boris Johnson um, doing a deal with the Brexit Party which then again emboldens fascists even yeah. more so there's also that thing with the newspapers when a community is demonised or like, yeah. you know, they, they talk about the radicalisation and those big words are used, even if they then go, oh, shit, we got it wrong. The message is out there. People yeah. have already like, oh, well, I've ingested that and that's how I feel now. And, you know, well, the politicians are backing me up. Well, I mean, with that, it's also the thing. I mean, because of political choices that have been made in the last, you know, 10, I'd say 40 years. I and mean, people are desperate, right? People are living in poverty. People are, you know, they've got less and less. I mean, kids are going hungry. You know, people are making the decision every night whether to feed their kids or heat their house. Mm-hmm. When you're in that situation... It's very, very easy when someone is telling you who to blame. I mean, it famously worked quite well for Hitler. So. Well, it's as old as the hills, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. People will be going to the polls tomorrow. What would you say to them in your sort of like last ditch kind of pitch to fuck Boris? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I would say think about the future that you want for yourself and think about the future that you want for your children. How are we going to get there? I mean, I can honestly say from the, you know, I, I, I just know that Boris Johnson is moving us so far in the opposite direction that it will take decades, if not centuries, to, re- yeah. to undo that damage. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to risk your children's futures on that? It's very simple for me. 22% of children live in poverty. That's a political choice on the behalf of the Tory party. I mean, it's as simple as if you don't want kids, you know, your kids to go hungry. And also the idea that, you know, even if it does take decades and centuries to undo, we don't have that time, right? So I know we all joke about it, but the end of the world is literally coming. (laughs) Yeah. What do you want people who are going to the polls on Thursday to do? You just want them to get these guys out? Yeah, I would say, you know, get them out and get out anyone who would enable them or that set of politics. Like, I mean, it actually comes in loads of different forms and it doesn't also stop on Thursday as well you know like it will continue I have all the best hopes that we will be able to get Boris Johnson out oh god if if we don't have you got a plan for keeping up your campaign yeah I think we we keep fighting right so where can people get involved (laughs) they can get involved on our Twitter on our Instagram on our Facebook page Mm -hmm. um, on our website which is just fuckboris.com it's FCK Boris isn't it But we know what you mean, because you, mm-hmm. you've said it by loads. <laughs> and are you looking for people all over the country of any particular age or just anyone at all? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, so for the last stage, you know, for this last week before the election, what we want to do most is to encourage women to vote and encourage young women and actually young people, but especially young women, to talk to their family and their friends, to talk to their mums, their aunts, their cousins, their sisters about why they should vote to fuck Boris uh, well to kick Boris out not to fuck Boris yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can't even understand why someone would put a tick have, really. in his box let alone yeah. let him put something in their box it's just terrific I think that a lot of people like find talking about politics a bit uncomfortable or a bit weird and can find 
challenging it uncomfortable like I think in a lot of families like people don't ask who they're voting for and stuff like that but we kind of want to encourage that and say well it's all of our futures um, and if you just if you know if you have the courage to just kind of say it once and we can all say it oh yeah and also take your family with you to the polling booth like if you have you know a grandma who you want to vote then yeah take her with you and we've seen how that kind of bringing people together can be the start of something new. Works in Ireland. That's exactly. how they pass gay marriage. It's how they pass yeah, exactly. repeal the eight. Well, also, yeah. and you know, not just your immediate family, but you know, your wider community. The old lady down the street who can't get to the polling station because, again, Tory cuts to social services. I mean, she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. she literally can't get there. You've shown the power of a positive party. I really love that approach because it's so easy to get wrapped up in rage. And like, there's no doubt in that you two are rightly angry about the same shit that <laughs> so many of us are rightly angry about. But if on Friday morning we wake up and Boris has been well and truly fucked, how big a party are you having? <laughs> and um, can we can you imagine? <laughs> I think so big that you won't even see us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you have one day to round up all of the old people you know. <laughs> please, please do so for for all of us yeah. and indeed for the them. I'd say, like maybe if there's some old people that you know are blue through and through, just distract them with biscuits. Yeah. Just like get them <laughs> to love stay in the biscuits. house. They, they love, love a biscuit. Them. No, it's Where Wednesday. It's not Thursday. It's Wednesday. Chichi, Rosa, thank you so much for joining us and good luck. Thank, thank you so thanks much. Hannah here, just interrupting to say that if you'd like to give us a Christmas present, and quite frankly, why wouldn't you? The best thing that you could do is to pop over to iTunes and review us. It's very simple. You just need to write, standard issue is amazing, or, you know, something like that. I will also accept brilliant, excellent, fantastic, and fucking great. And then give us five stars. It's a load easier than, like, trudging around the shops which you're going to have to do for your secret Santa, aren't you? Good luck with that. And thanks. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks, that time of the week where we douse you all in a magnum of champagne, but in a non-sexist way, as we discuss all things women's sport. And as I said in the intro today, it's something of a mixed bag this week. I'm going to start off with WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, who literally moments after I'd finished writing this announced that they had banned Russia from all international competitions for four years after Rusada... I like that, Rusada. It's like the Russian equivalent of WADA. They were declared non-compliant with WADA for manipulating lab data, which was handed to investigators in January 2019. What we're saying is, basically, they're not declaring their anti-doping results proper-like. They have 21 days at the time of writing this, which was on Monday, so I guess 19 days, if you're listening on Wednesday, to appeal this decision. But if it is upheld... It means no Tokyo Olympics next year and no Qatar World Cup in 2022. That's the Man's World Cup, just in case, you know, you got confused about how often every four years is. But athletes who can prove that they are untainted, as the BBC put it, by said scandal can compete as neutrals. I really don't know how that would work in football. 
but certainly for the Olympics, it's it's pretty much what happened last time. So it's not that new. Anyway, we will see how that unfolds in the coming weeks, and and we'll probably come back to that at a later date because that is a pretty pretty big news story. In football, the women's Euros are set to take place in England in 2021 and the fixtures for those matches were announced last week. Now, the venues for those fixtures were actually announced a while ago in August, but I must have been very much asleep on the job because I have only just had a chance to have a really good look at them this week with this new announcement. And it was quite interesting to me. So the final is going to be held at Wembley Stadium, which is, you know, rightly so. If it's good enough for the FA Cup, then it's absolutely what I'd expect of a tournament of this magnitude. It's pretty disappointing, though, to see the list of the other venues and their respective capacities that are going to be used for this tournament. And, I mean, absolutely no disrespect to any of the clubs that play at these venues or the venues themselves, but really, I think that the tournament of this size deserves much, much better. So those venues range in size from the Manchester Academy Stadium, where Man City women play, which has a capacity of just 4,700, to the largest, apart from Wembley, that is, but that's just for the final, which is St Mary Stadium, the home of Southampton Football Club, with a capacity of 32,000. The London venue is Brentford Community Stadium, which has a capacity of 17,000. Perhaps this follows relatively small crowds for some of this year's World Cup matches or I mean the decisions were made before a lot of these big kind of showcase matches that we've seen in the last couple of months but rather than sort of aspiring to do better than we were apparently we're just saying Meh. Can't expect, can't expect that. Might even do worse. I'm astonished that there's no major London or Manchester stadium on that list. A bit disappointing, but also sorry that it's only just come to my attention. Anyway, that story seems totally at odds with one of last week's announcements around women's football. In fact, there were two big football announcements last week. Firstly, that there will be a group stage introduced in the Women's Champions League, which means more teams and more English teams. We will now have three spots in the tournament instead of two, as there are in the current format, which is great news for our domestic league. And better news still for our domestic league, the FA have appointed Pitch International, a global sports marketing brand, which co-produced Andy Murray's recent resurfacing documentary, as in it's called resurfacing, it's not like he didn't resurface a documentary i don't even know what that would mean anyway they have been taken on to distribute worldwide broadcast rights for the women's super league pitch also did the same for the inaugural w series this year and i think this is really significant for the domestic league and for women's football in general for a start it shows there is a global market not just for women's football but specifically for our league proving the sort of dominance of the league in the game and we can see that by some of the recent signings as well. Australia's Sam Kerr currently playing in the US for example has just been snapped up by Chelsea and it's obviously an attractive place for top talent to come to and that can only be a good thing for us unless of course it goes the way of men's football and we just stop investing in our homegrown talent but let's not dwell on that. Let's go back to the W Series for a minute to end on and with some more good news in women's sport. The W Series had its first season this year and you might remember I spoke to CEO Catherine Bondmuir and a couple of the drivers earlier in the year as well. 
And it's back for another season next year. It was reported last week that the series had secured its first major partner, Rocket, in a three-year deal worth £10 million. Although I should say the duration and value of that deal is not confirmed, it's just reported. However, huge if true, as they say. And truly it is. When you think about how many years it took the WSL to secure a brand investment of that magnitude by way of Barclays just last year, really, really good news for the profile of women's sport. So, like I said, a mixed bag. Got anything to add to said lucky dip? You can tweet me on at Inspiragen and I will be back with more sport next week. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disaster. Dunleavy, what, what disaster did I put you through this week? This week, we watched what I think might be a candidate for the title of most mean-spirited film ever, 1998's Armageddon, which is Michael Bay. So if you know who Michael Bay is, that should be enough for you. I once saw an anonymous actor quoted, I think, in Empire magazine saying, while a lot of directors were cunts, uh, Michael Bay was a 13-year-old cunt, which I thought was quite (laughs) interesting. 1998. It's interesting because I was like, it's got to be, this has got to have been made on George W. Bush's watch because it's about the most Republican film I've ever seen. I mean, obviously, like, left-wing films are the norm in Hollywood, even though I'm sure there are right-wing people. A lot of Hollywood films have what you would arguably say was a left-wing bent. This is very, very right-wing, and I, I absolutely hate it. But weirdly, it's 1998, so it's, it's Bill Clinton was in power. Yeah. Uh, Harry Stamper, which is Bruce Willis's character, billed as the everyman, not an everyman at all, but he absolutely voted Trump. If he's still alive today, he's voting Trump. I mean, he's... Spoiler alert, he's not. <laughs> but, no. oh, yeah. but what I wanted to ask you was, do you think that it is a Republican film, or do you think... Harry Stamper is meant to be a Republican. No, I think the film is Republican. I think okay. Harry, I think both. I think both because Harry Stamper, the lead character played by Bruce Willis, and we'll get to the plot and everything. But while we're on this, so much we plot. might as well talk about it. Is he is like the first time you see him, he's hitting golf balls at Greenpeace. So you know, yeah, that's him. But the film itself. The snowflakes. Yeah, the film itself has some <laughs> very, very right-wing undertones. Not least that it's a really isolationist film. In, in it, in it, it shows a really isolationist America. For example, America doesn't bother warning anybody else that this is coming. It actually actively says, oh, what's the point? What's the point of telling China it's going to get wiped out in eight minutes? I don't know. I could fit a fuck in that. I'd quite like eight minutes notice if I got it. But you wouldn't look them in the face afterwards. But no. It did make me laugh as well. I'm just like, did, did they not realise, the makers of this film not realise that other people have space stations? Like, obviously they yeah, do because of the Russian space thinking. station, but I'm just like, you know, Russia's pretty good on the whole space race thing. Quite handy. Too bad. Quite handy, yeah. yeah. And also... But they didn't notice it. But I then just, the only yeah. time it does show other nations is when other nations are all standing watching the American president telling them what to do. Or getting shot on by meteor shells. Exactly. Yeah. Farewell, major landmarks. Yeah, Grand Sunday. Central Station. Uh, New York's second best landmark. I think like all of Paris. Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the third thing that makes me think like it's a really Republican film or it's certainly a really inappropriate film is the fact that in it, 
Steve Buscemi's character, who's called mm. something like Knob Jockey, but it's not that, but it might as well be. I think he's called Pedo Knob Jockey. Yeah. Um, it's a statutory rapist, something that everybody finds hilarious and something that is referenced throughout it like it's funny. How old are you? <laughs> and the last, the last point is that the first thing they all, are, or the thing that they all ask for when they t- undertake this task, is never to pay their taxes again, which is about the most fucking Republican thing I've ever heard. I mean, Americans don't really like paying taxes. To be fair, lots of people in this country don't like paying taxes. Yes, either. absolutely. But I would say that the American system is a bit more. Well, but given, that, given that it was started on the words no taxation without representation, yeah, um, you, you're right. Um, so, yes, I hated it. I literally loathed it. I'm sure that maybe if I didn't loathe it so much, I would have seen some bits that were funny in it, even if there were bits that were funny because of how stupid it was. Oh, wait a minute. There is one bit that's funny because of how stupid it was, and it's the line, he's got space dementia. Yes, <laughs> space dementia. <laughs> Which I'm thinking will be a point yes. for provably bad science. Jen's going to kill on this. So, basically, the long and the short of it is a meteor is crashing towards Earth. And rather than focus on, if this had been a Roland Emmerich film, we would have focused on 30 different people and their story. We focus on a group of blokes who work drilling, who are going to go up into space and drill into this a nuclear weapon and blow this thing up and save the world. And... I, you know, if ever a film needed a training montage to bring it down from two and a half hours, this is the film that's it. Just, just whap on an Aerosmith song, get them training and move along. It's just awful. I mean, his team, and the worst thing is, there's actually good actors in here. Billy Bob Thornton, Liv Tyler, Steve Buscemi, Michael Clark Duncan. Will Patton. I tell you who was terrible, beyond words in this, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is awful. In What's this going film. on with his hair? I don't know. Is it that was causing his acting to be? I think so. Shit? Yeah. I think he relied on his eyes quite heavily in this. There's a lot of eye acting going on. Yeah. Yeah. Also, one of the few films in which Owen Wilson doesn't go. Wow. There's many times when that would have been appropriate. There's there's so much going on in this that you can't see what's going on, which is also a major flaw in it. It's sort of like an extended trailer. It's like so fast. It's manic. And tense and pacey and cut together like it's its own sort of highlights reel. Well, i tell you who is good in this, Peter Stamari. I'm, I'm not sure anyone else counts as being good in it. He plays the Russian. That, oh, he's amazing yeah, that, in that, it. That they find. He is the best thing in this. Anyway, but basically what happens is just they start off with, like they've gone, oh, let's write a disaster film so we need a pack of people and then we're going to cause them to like go down and down and down so there's only a few plucky survivors left at the end. So what they do is they create a series of improbable accidents in order just to kill these people and the most frustrating thing about it the most frustrating thing about it is about half an hour before the end someone goes you've got three minutes to complete it and like 25 minutes later the clock is still counting down on three minutes it's unbearable it's got a plot line in it it's got one woman in it Liv Tyler who plays the daughter of everyone and you know it's just hey we raised her as a gang it's a really weird joke about about steve buscemi's statutory rapist taking a tampon shopping let's that is weird let's like not talk about that too much 
And so she forms what the romance element of the story, which is nauseating. Oh, when he's kissing uh, her shoulder, that made me feel physically sick. When he puts that animal cracker in her pants, oh, yeah, what yeah, because he actually puts it in her pants. I want to close my eyes. No. I thought that I, I thought it was absolutely the the romance was nauseating. I hated this film, Jen. Thoughts? Um, I were you a fan? I remember enjoying it when it came out, right. but I was like. 15 years oh, old. Probably worth me noting that I haven't seen this before. Have so, you never? No. Okay. Uh, no, that's not true. I said to Mickey, I've seen it in parts. Okay. Uh, I had a lodger who loved it and quite often I'd come in and see five minutes of it and Mick mm. said, oh, you've probably seen it but it doesn't matter if you see it in the right order or not. It still it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. She's so, right. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I, there's a lot of things about it that I'd forgotten. I'd fucking forgot um, Budget Tony Blair, hadn't I? Mm-hmm. Who looks yeah. like fan art of Michael Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> who, as you said before, was probably busy playing Tony Blair somewhere, somewhere else. else at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's about it. It was a lot, 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 lot more sexist than I remember it being. But I did have a little cry at the end still, not going to lie. Um, there's a brilliant review from... Is it Roger Ebert? What's the famous review? Roger Ebert. Roger yeah. Ebert. And he says, The movie is an assault on the eyes, the ears, the brain, common sense, and the human desire to be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what they're charging to get in, it's worth more to get out. <laughs> Strong. And that pretty much sums it up. I, I loved it Like when I was a kid when I first saw it, when I was younger and I first saw it. And it's just it's super fast and entertaining. And there's lots of like, like... Action. There's too much action. You can't see what's going on because of what's going on. Exactly, exactly. I read quite a few things um, on the train this morning about, because I thought, have I really badly misjudged this? You know, because I can see the value in films like that. As everybody knows, I love a bit of Con Air. There are pieces out there on the internet where people are going, oh, it's like a, it's a masterpiece that's like I mean, completely definitely misjudged. Not a master. And you're like, are you fucking mental? <laughs> it's awful. Because the one thing that I will say about Con Air is it has a joie de vivre, and this is really mean-spirited. Just, it is really mean-spirited. Really mean. And just when Bruce Willis to Ben Affleck, I've always thought of you as my son. Why the fuck were you trying to shoot him? Yeah. You literally shoot him in the leg in, the, in like, Maybe not even was... the opening oh, scenes. Well, that... Makes more sense, but why he's so angry if he sees him as a son and he's, he's fucking sleeping his, with his daughter. daughter? Absolutely, it's a bit rank, isn't it? I just I thought the whole thing was like a series of cliches strung together, and it doesn't like, like you say, people just say things like that because it's supposed to be a moving line, and it doesn't matter whether it's backed up by anything that you've seen in the two and a half fucking hours of your life you've been watching it. I don't think I've done very well again, which means I'm going to have to watch more terrible films that other people choose. I don't actually think I've done that well. I think I've, I think I've nailed it, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I saw a lot of things in there. I thought makes makes cleaned up. So, should we just read out the ones that we think we've got rather than going through all of yes. that? Yeah, okay. Which is basically my entire card, to be honest with you. Pre-disaster shag. Yep. Animal cracker heaven there. Pet survives carnage. Very quickly, yeah. French bulldog Ooh, rescued. Yeah. I don't know if it survives then the, the further carnage, but certainly initial carnage. Mm-hmm. Uh, nature, you cruel mistress. Mid-disaster punch-up. Farewell, major landmark. Bridge collapse. Um, we haven't seen anyone. I thought we might have done, but we have not. Um, could title be a porn film title? Absolutely. Captain willing to go down with ship, plane building. Yep, goodbye, Bruce Willis. Um, where are the fucking women? Hmm. That's quite a few. I'm counting. It takes me ages because I'm not good at maths. So one, two, three, four, five, nine. I got nine. Okay, I'm having old person sacrifice because Willis is arguably older than Ben Affleck and yep. went so he could have a life. 
Yep. Uh, thing you you can't do, meaning you would definitely die in this film. Well, I can't fly a spaceship or drill. So I'm having that. So many traffic jams because we were in New York. So yes, if only we hadn't bought substandard kit. I don't know why those drills kept breaking. Because they were um, drilling just... through, they hadn't landed in the right place, so they weren't. They were drilling through sheet metal. Do you think it was metal. a substandard kit thing? No, they put the kit together badly. Why did the space station blow up? Was that substandard kit? Well, yeah. Russian mates, Russian mates. Or was that, that was, space? That was sheer racism. I, That's oh, why okay. that blew up. I think you could. I think that. I'd allow that. There's a line actually. There is a line when one of them goes, "How do you feel that we're trying to save the world with stuff that came in at minimum cost?" Or okay, something. I'm having that. I'm already up to four. Oh, fuck you now. Fancy hairdo gone bad. Well, I don't know what's going on Bruce Willis's head, but that's not his hair. Um, my eyes are CGI. Six. Cassandra ignored. No. No. They, I will say that they go, we're fucked and everyone pays attention. <laughs> yeah. Uncanny prediction of real life disaster. I hope not. Anyway, what, I'm not going to read them all out. It was all going so well until I sprained my ankle slash caught space dementia. <laughs> that's, that's guys, guys, now we're back on Earth. Six. We're not going to talk Adopt about space dementia. is seven. Screaming cowardice. We're back to space dementia is eight. But where are they going to the toilet? Perennial question in space. I've got nine. If you I can think it. screaming cowardice is pushing it, and you only want to get nine because you don't want me to choose another film. And I, I'm, I'm on How board with that. Got? I've got nine. I've so got we're tying. I don't. Th- I think you've got eight. I think you. T- but you can choose. That's okay. fine. Well, we don't know what Jen's got yet. Is there a tunnel only an idiot would try to go through? I don't think so. I think there's just space. Okay. Brexit <laughs> analogy. I'm sure there's a Brexit analogy. Like everything's fucked. I mean that's. The constant Brexit analogy, but I actually don't think we get a Brexit analogy because it's all right in the end. Well, fingers crossed, Jen, it would be. <laughs> uh, I wish that guy was the actual president. He's better than the current president. I'd take him. Yeah, well, yeah. almost anyone's better than the current president. Yeah, there's a, well, he does there's... want to actually. He wants to nuke everyone, and Billy Bob Thornton saves the day and buys them more time. No, he doesn't want to nuke everyone. He wants to. He wants to set off the, the nuclear, like, nuke everyone who's gone up, the cowboys who've gone up to save the world. He's like, mm. right, we'll sacrifice them no, and everyone's you, still going to get hit. I understood that differently. But anyway, piss poor English accent. There's definitely a piss poor English accent in it. There is. Um, there are a lot of, oh, there aren't a lot of helicopters. There's a lot of planes, fuck's sake. Um, provably bad science, space dementia, <laughs> among other things. You get like six <laughs> points for that. <laughs> Weather geek. I mean, asteroid geek. No, it's not the same. That's not weather. Well, have you spoken to a meteorologist about this? Um, It's raining asteroids. If I spoke to a a meteorologist about asteroids, they'd go, yeah, not my my bag. Yeah. Agreed. Um, (laughs) This disaster saved our relationship. Yes, it saved their relationship, but then he died. Sad times. Um, But at least their relationship was saved. Don't you know? Can you smell burning? I can. Uh You substandard kit bastards. (laughs) Um, there's no sobbing children there's a lot of kids waiting to die but none of them sobbing there's definitely at least one false dawn in this like where it looks like it's all okay and it isn't so I think that's not very many I think that's possibly one, two, three, four, five. it's five or six so guys I'm out I'm happy for you to choose Hannah if you've got one that you really want to watch I've chosen for ages well you've not won Oh, you made the rules up. I know, but I also <laughs> made all the bingo cards up, so it really pains me that everyone goes, oh, I've got that. And I'm like, fuck, I wrote that. Why didn't I write on my own card? I've got to say, my four at the bottom are bankers, to be fair. Um, yeah, you did write a lot of them, the majority. I think that we should watch something from the 70s again, because we haven't seen anything from the 70s since the start. So, I don't know. Earthquake? Maybe? Earthquake. 
I still I haven't found the Poseidon Adventure. So, earthquake. Okay. Charlton Heston. It's an earthquake. Does, does exactly what it says on the tip. Exactly. Nature, you cruel mistress. Already <laughs> loving it. <laughs> Standard issue for all women.